It will also be shown on the screen. Please listen to the word of the Lord. Psalm 100, a psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. May God bless the reading of his word. Pastor Jeff will now come preach on the topic of he is God and we are his. Pastor Jeff. Good morning. Happy early Thanksgiving. We are headed into the season of turkeys and touchdowns. The season of debating how soon is too soon to play Christmas music. Of braving the Costco run, maybe even after church today, we'll see some of you there, to get everything that we need for our Thanksgiving meal later this week. The season of looking up Black Friday deals so that, or Cyber Monday deals so that we can have more things to say that we're thankful for uh, in the season when we gather around the table. And in the, the midst of all the noise that comes in November, we turn to God's word to ground us. We turn to God who speaks to us and his word that shapes us and orients us, particularly in the season of thanksgiving. Our passage this morning that was just read is coming from Psalm 100. It's a short psalm. It's, uh, you might notice if you have your, your pew Bibles, your actual Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 100. It's written at the beginning of the psalm that it's a psalm for giving thanks. Psalm that it's, that's pretty appropriate for us as we prepare our minds, our hearts, our stomachs, our wallets for Thanksgiving. In, uh, in Psalm 100, we're going to be looking at three questions that this short psalm, this psalm, answers. And it's these three questions and their answers in particular that, that I pray and, and hope will be on our minds and hearts, not just this morning for the next hour and a half or hour and 15, but on our minds and our hearts and even our lips especially over the course of this next week and beyond. The three questions that we're going to see in the psalm over uh, are, are, how do we give thanks? To whom do we give thanks? And why do we give thanks? How do we give thanks? To whom do we give thanks? And why do we give thanks? And so let's look at this first question, right? How do we give thanks? What, what characterizes the way in which we give thanks or show gratitude? Like, what does that look like for us who follow Jesus, who live in submission to God? What does that look like? And the passage begins with a call to worship. In fact, almost the entirety of the psalm is, uh, is a call to worship. I thank you, the AV team, who's always, who always has my back. You know, there, there are seven imperatives here. Seven commands in this psalm. Right? The psalmist, as he is writing, is calling the people, make 
a joyful noise. Serve, or it has this, this uh, understanding of worship the Lord. Come into his presence. Know that the Lord, he is God. Enter his gates, his sanctuary. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. And so we, as we approach his word, we are being called, invited, commanded, instructed to give thanks. And so if you want to look at uh, the scripture with me at verses 1, 2, and 4. Now some of these verses give these descriptions of the manner in which we give thanks. Not just that we should give thanks, but this is kind of what it looks like. How are we to do it? What characterizes it? It's not just make some noise, right? The psalmist is not just saying get loud because we could be booing, like boo, and, and that's noise. But we're to make a joyful noise, right? This is the kind of noise that we're, we ought to make. And then there's all these with statements throughout the, the, uh, the course of our passage. With gladness. With singing, which we were just doing a moment ago. With thanksgiving. With praise. This is what ought to be accompanying our worship and the actions mentioned in this passage. And so to put it this way, that our thanksgiving is characterized not by timidity, but by triumph. Not with gloom, but with gladness. And not by silence, but by singing. And not even alone, but together. There's, again, there's seven commands in this psalm. A call to worship. But these commands are addressed not to the individual, but to a people that are gathered together, just like we are here this morning. It's a call to sing, to celebrate, to praise, to give thanks, and to do it together. The command, it's a, it's a for those of you English grammar nerds, it's a second person plural. Right? So he's speaking to a group of people. And, so, and then in the very first verse, our translation says, make a joyful noise. Right? Some other translations say, shout for joy. One even says, shout in triumph. You know, it's got this idea of like a battle cry or a victory cry. You might imagine, you know, watching one of those war movies and they just defeated their opponent on the battlefield and all of them are yelling in celebration, in victory. And so right from the start, this call to worship is instructing us, get loud, celebrate. This kind of shouting for joy comes natural in settings where we're celebrating and when we're celebrating together. Now, I'm not the most expressive person, and so like when I'm watching sports or whatever at, at home, I'm not shouting at the TV whenever my team scores a goal, but when I'm watching with people, I'm yelling along with everyone else. You know, right now, the first match of the World Cup is happening right now, but I know you, none of you are watching it because you're here. And, and there's going to be a clear winner, and there's going to be a clear loser at the end of those 90 minutes. 
And clearly, if we were to watch, if I were to throw it up on the behind me, right, the country that, that is going to win is going, to, or that wins is going to be the country that is shouting for joy. Especially the people at the match or the people watching together in the living rooms. I remember when I was in, in college, we had a pretty loyal fan base for our basketball team. We called ourselves the pit. So there'd be a section in the bleachers that uh, we would call the pit because that's where the most loyal of us would stand there for the entirety of the game. We wouldn't sit down for not one moment. We'd stand there in support of our team. and We'd all raise our hands and wiggle our fingers every time the basketball player went to the free throw line uh, to, to make free throws. We were probably a little bit overly superstitious for a Christian college, but you know, it was, we were very passionate. And, and granted, it was only Division Three basketball, and no one really cares about Division Three basketball. But we, it didn't matter. We cared about it. You know, so my freshman year, you know, I'm in the pit. Our team has gotten to the finals of not a national NCAA championship, but just this local conference. But it, it, it was important to us, right? And, and this was the championship game. It was close the entire game, and finally at the very end, we're up by two points, and all we need to do is keep the other team from scoring. And so with just a few seconds remaining, one of our players steals the ball, runs out the clock, and chucks the ball right up high in the air in victory. And then immediately all of us yell in celebration, yeah, and we storm the court. And there's this hundreds of hundreds of students flooding down from the bleachers onto the basketball court. And I'm rushing along with everyone yelling, yeah. And we were told right at the beginning, right, don't storm the court. If we win, don't storm. I'm, I'm telling, because I'm trying to be obedient and, you know, self-righteous. I'm telling my, my classmates, remember what the, our, the authorities say, don't storm the court. And then when that buzzer went off, all hell broke loose. And we just went to the court because we couldn't help ourselves. No one could stop us. The noise was deafening as we filled up the gym with shouts of joy. And that picture, if you can picture that with me, is a similar picture here as we are called to shout for joy, to make a joyful noise together, to shout in triumph, in victory. Like this is what thanksgiving and worship should look like for us as God's people. Not just one Sunday a month or two Sundays uh, a year for baptism Sunday or whatever, but every Sunday, every day for us. But I'll admit that sometimes, sometimes maybe most of the time, it's not like that at all, right? You know, we might look like this guy, Bill Belichick, who is so well known for his enthusiasm and his expressiveness during you know, the media conferences. You know, sometimes... This is us throughout the week, even on a Sunday morning. You know, we're, maybe we're self-conscious. We're, we're absorbed in, into our own what's, whatever's going on. We're worried about singing out of tune, right? And so we don't sing at all. Or, or, or maybe we're worried about how we look and, like, we can only worship when it's pitch black darkness. The lights are too bright. Or, or maybe... Maybe it's, it's more like this. Maybe we're just not feeling it that morning. Maybe it was this morning as you came in. 
You just weren't, weren't in the right place. And, and so what do we do? Because like we turn to this psalm, and it's a call to worship. It's, it's an instruction. It's an invitation. It's a command. And we're given this command not just to worship and give thanks, but it's what should accompany or characterize those very things. Right? So don't sit in silence, we're told, but sing in celebration. So how do we move towards that? Let's look at two other questions that this psalm answers to see how, how are we going to be able to move from timidity to triumph, from gloom to gladness, from silence to singing. So the second question, to whom do we give thanks? The psalm is a, is a call to worship, but specifically it's a call to worship God. It's giving thanks, but we ask, well, who are we giving thanks to, right? Like, think about that. Like, we give thanks. That's a, it's a verb, right? We're giving something. When we give something, we give it to someone or something. And so we ask, well, who is that gratitude? Who is our gratitude, our thanksgiving, our praise directed to? Because it has to go somewhere. I don't think, we're probably not intentionally thinking about it, but I don't think we're just putting it out into open air. And over and over and over again, our psalm reminds us that when we give thanks, it's to the Lord. When we exalt, it's in the Lord. So verse 1, we say, we saw that it's not just shouting, right, or making a noise. It's shouting with joy, shouting in triumph, and making a joyful noise. And it continues now, to the Lord, right? Come into his presence with singing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. In the, in the home group I'm in, uh, we've been working our way through the book of Romans. And in chapter 1, the indictment that Paul brings against all of humanity, all of creation, is this failure to honor God and to give thanks to him. Romans 1.21 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And the thing that was mentioned, that was brought up uh, in our home group, to borrow the language of our youth, God has main character energy. I really hope I'm using that right, so I apologize if I'm taking it out of context. Right? He is the main character he is the protagonist. It's, it's about him, right? He deserves the glory and the honor and praise. On the other hand, we have main character syndrome, right? To whom do we give thanks? It's not to ourselves. We think it's all about us, that we sit on the throne. But the psalm corrects us, changes our focus, and says, no, it's not giving thanks to ourselves as if we're patting ourselves on the back, but to God. Otherwise, can you imagine, right, during, particularly during this season of Thanksgiving, like, what are you thankful for this year? You know, oh, I'm grateful for getting into the college that I wanted to get into, you know, which I got into because I spent all those hours to, to get the SAT score that I wanted, or I did so well in my interview, in my interview or I'm thankful for the job that I have. 
which I earned through my hard work and amazing interviewing skills. Now, which still might be true, but not ultimately. And oh, I'm grateful for the, the home that I have, which I purchased using the money from said job, which I got from said education. Right? The, the, the psalm is combating against this main character syndrome. Right? It is reminding us that when we give thanks, we give it to the Lord. The third question, well, why? Why do we give thanks? If we were to kind of take a zoom out approach and kind of look at this passage as a, as a whole, it's structured in two halves. Verses 1 to 3 and verses 4 to 5. In both sections, each begin with this call to worship, make a joyful noise. It's a command to give thanks in one manner or another. And then each call, as the passage continues, is followed up with a reason. Right? There's the what, and then there's the why. There's exaltation, then there's explanation. Exaltation, the explanation. All right, so verse 3, as we continue, the psalmist writes, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And so why? Why are we to make a joyful noise to the Lord? Why not to ourselves? Why not to this person or that person or this thing or that thing? You know, why should we come, come into his presence with singing? And the psalmist says, well, it's, it's because the Lord, he is God. This command to know, it, it, it means to acknowledge, right? It's confession. It's less like cognition, like let me just emotionlessly memorize this fact and regurgitate it on some exam. But it's more recognition, acknowledgement. Like we need to recognize that he is God. He is the main character. It's about him. He deserves the glory and honor and praise. And, and so what does that mean exactly that he is God? That the Lord is God. We, we recognize him and who he is by what he does. It is he who made us. He is our creator. And again, in Romans, right, we said that the main indictment against his people was this failure to honor God or give thanks to him. For, uh, again, th throw the verse up again. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. What do they do? Verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And so there's this reversal of the created order, right? That mankind, humankind, we were called to be, to, to have dominion over all creation. But now what we find is that we have become subservient to it. And not only that, there's this progression from not only being uh, exchanging the glory of God for images resembling man, but we've been subservient to man and the birds and animals all the way down from instead of God up high, now to the lowest of things. And so verse 25 says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator 
who is blessed forever. Amen. We give thanks because God is our creator. It's he who made us. All right, so there's three descriptions of the people, of us, in this verse that hopefully we can identify with, that we can cherish, that we can hold on to, that we can remember to help us move into a, a place of joyful noise-making, of singing. Three truths that every one of us can continue to remember to help, help us to rejoice in the Lord. We are his creation, we are his people, and we are his sheep. We are his creation, his people, and his sheep. Right? Three things that give us the, the justification for giving thanks, not to ourselves, but to God, right? Because this is what, what the psalmist is doing is orienting us in relationship to God. Because now, if we are to take to those three things, now it means that, well, he is our creator. He is our God. And he is our shepherd. In this, I think, verse 3, the very centerpiece of this psalm, because everything preceding it flows towards it in this fundamental affirmation of God's relationship with his people. As we remember that, as we hold on to that, and then everything flowing from it flows from it too. If he is our shepherd then we know, we believe, we trust. We find comfort in the one that he is the one who tenderly cares for us, who provides for us. If he is our creator and our God, then we are not our own. Then you do not belong to yourselves or to your parents or to anyone else but to God first and foremost, ultimately. There's a second reason, too, in our passage for why we give thanks. Not just these three things, but Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good, his, steadfastness, uh, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. And so we ask, as we read, what's the for, therefore? Earlier we talked about how to give thanks. Right here, it's, it's helping us to see how we are able to give thanks. And what do we need to set our minds and our hearts on as we move into just not, not just knowing doctrine, but also feeling delight? Three primary motivations for our thanksgiving and praise. God's goodness, God's loyal love, his covenant love, his steadfast love. And his faithfulness, God's faithfulness. And so why ought we to be giving thanks to God? Well, it's because of these three things. God is good. And that is so important for us to believe, to remember, in order to give thanks to him. Like, why would we give thanks to a God who is not good? Whose goodness is called into question. You know, these days, it's not enough for us to be able to argue for the existence of God and to have all these uh, apologetic arguments for that, it, it's good. But we also have to be able to argue, make a case for the goodness of God. To put it another way, it's not enough to answer, well, is God real? We also have to be able to answer, is God good? 
It is the good God who created and formed us and said in Genesis, before we rebelled, his creation was good. It is out of his goodness that we can then believe that everything good comes from him. It is out of his goodness that we see his steadfast love and his faithfulness. In Psalm 90 to 100, it's this kind of like this section of 10 or 11 psalms. It responds to the seeming lack of faithfulness on God's part. Especially when the psalmist is consuming the demise of David's kingdom, his monarchy, and the lapse, potential lapse of the great promises which were mentioned in, uh, in, in Psalm 89. And so Psalm 100 ends this section that begins with Psalm 90 in response to what might appear to be the lack of faithfulness on God's part when King's David, King David's kingdom fell apart. Like, oh no, like is God's promise that began to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and to David, like is that not going to come into fruition? Would the promises of God still be fulfilled? In Psalm 89, this is what the psalmist is struggling with. Now he still ends with, you know, blessed be God, but near the end he laments and it says, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Psalm 100 responds by affirming God's faithfulness. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love indeed endures forever in his faithfulness to all generations. Well, the course of this passage, there's two sections, and we oscillate between this call to give thanks and the reason for our thanksgiving, between exaltation and explanation. And so verses 1 and 2, make a joyful noise, exaltation. Verse 3, because he is God and we are his people, explanation. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, exaltation and praise. Verse 5, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness is to all generations. Explanation. Back and forth, back and forth. Right? This is an important uh, relationship, connection here that we see in Scripture between doctrine and delight. Right? If, if we were to think about just dichotomizing the two, right? if it was simply exaltation, just praise without any sort of explanation, then our thanksgiving is hollow. Our singing is shallow. There's no substance or reason backing any of it all. We are no better than noisy gongs or clanging cymbals. But what if it was in reverse? What if it was simply doctrine without delight? Explanation that doesn't actually lead to exaltation. Then it's incomplete. It's a failure. You know, all this knowing, all this confessing, it ought to lead us into greater humility and gratitude that is expressed in singing, even if it's out of tune singing, and in joyful noise and delight towards God. And so we need both together, doctrine and delight, explanation and exaltation. And so how are we able to give thanks? How are we able to sing with joy? By remembering that he is God and we are his. By remembering that God really, he really is good. 
He has been good to us. He has shown his loyal love and his faithfulness, and it is forever. This, too, is what we can be thankful for throughout the rest of this Thanksgiving week and beyond. But this morning, we will give thanks for that, but we will also be giving thanks for God's goodness, his loyal love, and his faithfulness that has been shown to the six young men and women who are getting baptized this morning. Some of you are here today to celebrate with us, and that's awesome. This is an opportunity for us to make a joyful noise, to sing in celebration, to shout in triumph. You know, what we're celebrating is what each of these baptism candidates are testifying to, are proclaiming and professing. God and his goodness, his covenant love, his faithfulness, which showed itself in the act of God sending his son Jesus to live the life we could not live and to die the death we deserve to die so that we might be raised from death to life. And so I'm going to invite all of you to stand with me now. Let us respond first by singing and exaltation, by singing of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. Let us make a joyful noise and let us sing.